Hey there, and welcome to our podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Now, before we begin, we want to remind you to please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at our church. Thanks again for joining us, and now, enjoy the episode. Sometimes that's what command strips do. You command them to stay there, but they don't always follow your command, right? Uh, But anyway, uh, we're thankful for the love of Christ. Amen? That's why we're here. His love is for all. And uh, I always enjoy preaching about a Savior who loves us. We really wouldn't be excited to preach about someone who didn't, or uh, have a half kind of love, or the love as the world defines. We're talking about a love that God defines, an unconditional uh, love for us, and so thankful for that. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Let's find our place quickly, Luke chapter 2, and I want to preach a message this morning entitled, God's Hand in Christmas. God's Hand in Christmas. I want to brag on God. I want him to be the centerpiece of Christmas. And I want you to know where this Advent came from. Who's responsible for it. Right? That it's written into history. And uh, Christ is a part of our present. And so, um, I just want to highlight God's hand today. And I pray as you leave here, you'll know who to praise. It's not man, but it's God alone. Amen. So uh, Luke chapter 2, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of the typical Christmas reading, which is through verse 20, but we are going to journey through it. Uh, But I'm going to read verses 1 through verse 7, which really states the setting and the event will also include the shepherds uh, as well. So Luke chapter 2, if you found your place, say amen. All right, let's begin verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And his taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth uh, into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. In other words, give birth to the God child. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for the reading of your word. And what a, what a account of truth. The first advent of your son. Father, I'm thankful that I have the privilege to be able to declare the truth that's here. Father, I'll never be able to plunge uh, into the depth of this or even understand the incarnation. Lord, all that I have to believe is that it is true. Your hand did it. Um, And Christ is alive, willing to save Um, all those who will come and repent and confess a believing faith and Him as Savior and follow Him as Lord. So I'm thankful for that. 
So, Father, guide us in this text. Father, I need your guidance um, to speak what each heart needs to hear. And I pray you help me to disappear from this stage that each one only hear your voice. I pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. God's hand in Christmas. How many of you have ordered Christmas gifts and had them delivered to your door? Anybody? You don't want to face the hustle and bustle, you just you order them. And maybe, you know, if I was guessing, Amazon has been your friend. Oh, there's, there's some honesty. Uh, or maybe you've ordered it from other places, but uh, there have been some Amazon boxes on your doorstep. Um, maybe for some of us, we need to be the shipping and receiving department for Amazon. I don't know. But uh, we've received gifts. And logistics, when it comes to when you order something, is logistics is probably something you value greatly. What I, what do I mean by that? I mean that when you order a gift... Um, when you get it, it's the gift you ordered. How many people that's important to? Yeah, you didn't get somebody else's, something that you didn't order. It's something you ordered, so it's the right gift. Um, and that it arrived on time. Because you usually probably order the gift in, in lieu of maybe there is a, 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 a birthday coming up, Christmas or whatever. It's Christmas, so we'll say it's Christmas. You order early enough, and they said it's, the estimated time of arrival is this date, so you're looking for it. You're waiting for that confirmation email. Hey, it's, it's shipped. It's going to be delivered this day between this time and this time. And so timing in the logistics, you know, is important. But another one that's crucially important to me is that it arrives in one piece. Anybody like that? There's no damage in the logistics, in the traveling. That's what I say when, when I say logistics, the, the, the path and all that it takes to bring that gift to your house, the right gift, on time, and no damage. Right? It doesn't always happen, does it? <laughs> um, there's a piece broke, or it was a day late, it got lost in the mail, etc. Sometimes there's frustrations with logistics. Um, but I will tell you this. That there has been a logistic miracle in our history. And this miracle was not performed by FedEx, I assure you. It wasn't performed by Amazon or UPS. It was performed by the hand of God. The logistics of Christ's coming, it's an amazing, amazing truth. That this amazing story that we have just read, this, this gift is more valuable than anything you can order on Amazon or wherever, Walmart, etc. Uh, more valuable than any gift you could purchase. Um, this this uh, gift was sent by the hand of God and orchestrated and guided to the earth by His hand and hand alone. All credit goes to God for the first advent of Christ. Amen. It wasn't because someone said, I need a Savior. It's because God said, you need a Savior. And so God sent uh, His Son. Christ, amazingly, by the hand of God, it's a miracle logistics, because He was sent, and all of His travels of coming and, and, and carrying out the salvific plan, all the logistics of all of that, He traveled without any damage being done to His person. And He arrived on time. And he came at the most needed point in history. 
That's the hand of God. No logistic company could do that. Hit every mark perfectly to a gift that all humanity needed. But the hand of God did it. And I want you to understand the times were hard, difficult. In this time of life, coming out of a time of darkness and no word from God. The taxes were high. Unemployment was high. The morals of the people were slipping constantly. The military state was in control, really Claiming to bring peace, but couldn't bring the peace that people actually needed. Uh, Greek philosophy, Jewish religion could not meet the needs of the souls at this time. But God sent His Son and did it perfectly on time and for a people that needed it. God got it done. Amen? God's hand in Christmas. We need to understand that God's hand is mighty. Joshua said in Joshua 4 verse 24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. If all the account I had about Christ was the first advent, I would tremble in reverential fear to my God. Because he did that for me. Sent his son So what I want to do today is present a message that speaks of God's mighty, loving, sovereign hand in bringing Christ down to this earth. For who? For people who didn't deserve Him. And I'm talking about you and me. He sent Christ. This logistical miracle. And I want us to leave with the amazement of what God done. So, first of all, what I want us to see here is that we see the king's heart in the king's hand. You find here in this passage, chapter 2, it says, And and it came to pass in those days that there went a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And so there was a decree from the Caesar, or the king, if you will, uh, that all the world should be taxed. And what was happening here is that that Rome, really every... um, um, sent out a census, right, a, a, a registration and taxes. And they would do this about uh, every 14 years. This was multi-purpose uh, for military purposes um, and tax purposes. So every uh, Jewish uh, male would return to his own city, right? The city of his fathers where his name's recorded. And we find here, the Bible tells us, that Joseph just by coincidence, was going to be the foster father, if you will, of the God-child, he had to go to Bethlehem. That was just by coincidence. And we know better than that. This was the hand of God working through this. Now, let me just say this. The earthly king made a decree that this, this census, this registration, this taxes would be done, which brought Joseph and Mary and the Christ child to Bethlehem where prophecy would be fulfilled, where the shepherds would need to find him and all that. But let me tell you something, credit does not go to an earthly Caesar. Because the Bible tells me before the foundation of the world, there was a king in heaven that decreed that Christ would be sent. Amen? Credit does not go to Caesar. Credit goes to the hand of God. God's hand and His sovereign hand is working uh, through man and their freedom as they're going about life and the Caesars are doing their thing and uh, uh, families are doing their thing and God is working on the details in the background, His hand to bringing Christ to where He needed to be for the world to find Him and see Him. Augustus Caesar was ruling, but God was in charge. Amen? 
the hand of God, the king's heart, the king, all he was doing was in the hand of the king of heaven. People make decisions and people rule, but God overrules. Amen? He has every right to do that. This, the distance that Joseph and Mary traveled, these 80 some miles, and all that they did to get there was not in credit to the Caesar, but it was in credit of God. God knew all the details that would come out in history when he said, let there be light. He knew all that was coming about. He knew how to plan this out. And he got it done. He had you in mind. He had me in mind when he sent Christ. 1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times, I love this part, for you. For you. This call for this taxes to be paid, this census to be uh, done, did this catch the king of heaven by surprise? No. My God's omniscient. He knows all things. This was not a surprise to God. Because his hand was in the working of all of this coming about. A.T. Pearson said, history is his story. Amen? History. It's his story. President James A. Garfield called history the unrolled scroll of prophecy. I love that. It truly is his story. So we see God's Sovereign hand and man's freedom play, uh, in play in arriving at this point. This family, this Caesar, this town, their travels, the shepherds, this manger, all of this. We have to give credit to God's hand. God's hand alone. And this truth reveals to us that no earthly power was going to keep God from sending his son to this family them traveling to Bethlehem, being on display in a manger, as we'll get to in just a moment. Nothing was going to stop the hand of the King of Heaven from sending Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? No power under heaven was going to hinder the mighty hand of God in this salvific um, part of history. But only that, not only we see that the king's heart was in the king, the king of heaven's hand, we also see the family surrender to God's plan. We also say the family surrender to God's hand. We could say it that way as well. So you notice this, that uh, Joseph and Mary were heading to Bethlehem. Um, they embraced their new life. We can learn so much from the response of Mary and Joseph in this Christmas story to the plan that, come, that came from God's hand. Um, now, humor me for a second. Before this announcement came to Joseph and Mary, would you not think that these two probably had some plans? About their marriage, how it was going to be, the ceremony. You know, maybe I want to have two boys and a girl and have a girl first or a boy. I mean, what do you talk about? Think about it. They're human beings. Let your mind drift just a little bit about maybe what they talk, their plans. Their, this is where we want to live. And this is the, you know, what, uh, the kid's name. They are talking about maybe kid's names. And all these plans. We're a type of people that thinks about future plans, aren't we? And then God comes and just... Just obliterates any, any plan that they may have had about how their marriage would go, the ceremony, the, who what kid they'd like to have first, or where they're going to live, or etc. God just exploded their plans. 
You may say, why would God do that? Wouldn't that just ruin your life? No, no, that's really the kind, that's really living life is when God brings his plans to you and you follow his plans. This is living life to the fullest, is living out God's plan. God's hand came and, and turned Mary and Joseph's life upside down. What plans they had, now they have no plans but the plan of God. They surrendered to God's hand here. And listen, there was no itinerary either in this announcement. When the angel came to Mary and the angel came to Joseph, he didn't, they, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't tell Mary, okay, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to uh, come over you, overshadow you, the Christ's going to be born, and, okay, now you're going to travel this amount of miles, and you're going to come to the end, but they're not going to let you in, there's not enough room, they're going to go to this manger, and you know, you're going to lay him in this stone manger uh, there with all these cattle, and the shepherds are going to come. There was no other details. How many of you like to know the details? Have some honesty. Right, if you're, if you're going to have a plan or you're, you're, something's going to happen, you want to know the details. What's going to happen? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. It was not given. What great illustration we have here is that Joseph and Mary, they went. The Scripture doesn't tell us that they complained about this non-itinerary kind of announcement. No Scripture tells us that they complained or got bitter or worried or were anxious. I honestly believe they were not. They followed God. They trusted God in this. They embraced their new life. The thing is, is that when we trust God's plan and the path that he has for us, we don't have to have the itinerary. We don't have to have the details to be at peace with that plan. Now, if you make a plan, you need to have some details for you to be at peace. But there's only one hand that delivers a plan that you can trust and not knowing all the things that's going to happen from this point forward. All you need to know is that the details are in His hand. Are you with me? Are you awake? Yeah. In His hand, in their life, giving this new plan is what brought them peace. Traveling this journey. They were not... How many of you are privy... Uh, to hindsight about future plans. You don't have that hindsight, right? It's not happening. And they were not privy to it. They didn't know the extended things that were going to happen. We're not privy to that in the moment. Now, we here today can read the hindsight of the story. But here at this time, Mary and Joseph didn't have the details we have about what was going to happen with them. But they didn't need it. All they needed was God's word, God's hand. Why do you trust God's hand? Because I take time to know who he is. That's why I trust his hand. And they truly knew the God of this plan. Now I'll say this. They were probably undoubtedly uncomfortable. Things changed. Their life turned upside down. But can I tell you something? They may have been a little uncomfortable in the, in the human aspect. But within, they were calm. I believe that. That's my, that's my personal opinion. You ever had your plans changed? A little bit of uncomfortable feeling sets in, doesn't it? But then you be a Christian about it. When God changes your plans, you step into your Christianity and you, you apply faith. And you may be a little uncomfortable, but you're at peace with it. Right? Um, that, I believe truly that that was them. And then you come on down and they get to the end. Right? 
Days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and they come to the end. Not only were they content with God's plan of bringing this child into their family and just obliterating all future plans that they had, but they were also content with their lodging. They were content with this detail when they got to it. Now, I want to speak about this just for a minute. First, first of all, I, I think a lot of times the innkeeper gets a bad rap. Anybody think about that? I think the innkeeper gets a bad rap at Christmas time. That old mean brute didn't let them in there, and I'm sure there was a way for them to get, but he just didn't like little babies. Or he just didn't like newlyweds. You know, I don't know what kind of, but he's always painted real mean. Can I remind you something? This innkeeper was simply managing God's, uh, God working in all of these details here. There was an influx of people coming to Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and he was simply trying to manage this flow of people. And I don't think the innkeeper thought, well, I've got this room, but I don't want them to have it. This inn was truly maxed out, and that makes sense, doesn't it? I don't think this speaks to the innkeeper's character. Simply saying, I'm, I'm managing at least in, in our Christian mind, I don't know if he was a Christian or not, but I'm simply managing what God's doing. I'm simply taking in all these people. Now, they were content with their lodging. Now, what would you call this moment? Think about this. What would you call this moment that the hand of God has worked out? Think about this. Um, you're newlyweds. My wife's pregnant. We're 80-some miles from home. We're tired, maybe even hangry. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, that's, you're hungry, but your, your attitude's changing. Because, okay, we got some honest Christians in the house. You're hangry, all right? You know? And then, you, okay, I'm tired. We need a place to stay. There's no room. What would you have considered that? A major inconvenience, wouldn't you? This is an inconvenience. Can imagine what some of us want to say, you know, this whole trip to Bethlehem, it just, this right here tells us we wasted our time. We shouldn't have come here. We should have done here. You know, maybe some say, you know, Joseph, you should have listened to me. Shouldn't have went to there. We should have went over here. You know, we begin to see moments like this as inconveniences. I'm, I'm not saying Mary did that or Joseph had those thoughts. I don't think they did. But I'm thinking about you and me. What we find here with Joseph and Mary, there was no room in the inn. But you don't find them ever saying that, you know, I thought God loved us. Didn't God put this God child in my womb? Did he not know we would need to have a place to stay as he went to sleep? Mary and Joseph never said that. And I don't think they ever thought that. But how many of us today, when it comes to the inconveniences, do we blame God for them? I will say this, all the details that come to your life does pass through his hand. Amen? Even what you may call an inconvenience. God is king over even the inconveniences. So I think here what we find is two believers addressing this inconvenience as God's direction that this is not where I want the child to be delivered. I have a greater place. Maybe not a comfortable place. But I have a better place. 
Why do you see things as an inconvenience in your life? It's because you look at it in a self-worshipping kind of way. I deserve better. I deserve this. And then you start thinking, these are inconveniences. I should have had this and this. It becomes all about you. But Mary and Joseph, we, what we find here is they never began to have that kind of dialogue. Why? Because they were not here for themselves. They were here for God. And when we go through life and follow God's plan and things don't work out the way you think they should, but you're doing it for the glory of God, you won't complain about the inconvenience. You'll say, God, you know what you're doing. There's a great plan being worked out. This is a great opportunity, not a great inconvenience. See, this is what the atheist struggles with. If you take God out of the picture... Things like this become great inconveniences. That's all they ever be. That's all they ever are. But because God is real and God is true and Christ is alive and the story is true. And you know what that tells me? That every detail, even what we would conceive as, as an inconvenience, they are significant and they have purpose and they give God glory and I can rest in them. Do you do that? Do you approach life as a Christian? You may say you are, but do you approach life as a Christian? Matthew shared with me, uh, oh, uh, names left me, Brother Matthew shouted from the sound room. Jerry Jer Jer yeah, Jerry Clower. Ah, oh, that ring a bell now? Bad impersonation, but I hope that got your attention. <laughs> um, a, a, I would even call a sermon. He invited him to church there, and he spoke of a few things. Um, wonderful to listen to. And maybe if you want, I can send it to you, or Matthew can send it to you. But um, he, there was a time where his, his son was in a, a, a bad car wreck. And on his journey there, he's like, Lord, I know when I get there, I need you to help me to be a Christian when I get there. Because the, what, the word that I've gotten from a neighbor that saw the accident is that they're really, my son's not responding. The other guys are fine, but my son is unresponsive. That's all Jerry Clower knew, and he's traveling there. And he prayed, he said, I prayed to God, help me to respond as a Christian when I get there. What do you mean by that? Don't act like a pagan. Don't act like a humanist. Don't act like a self-worshipper. Start blaming God and acting like God is not on the throne and God's not in control. That you don't trust God in this hard, difficult, what we would call an inconvenience. He was saying, God, help me to be a Christian at that wreck. And the carnage that may be there and the death of my son that may be awaiting me. Help me be a Christian. God is in control of the inconveniences. Can I tell you something? Why should we be a Christian in approaching things that don't work out the way we'd want to? It's because little did Mary and Joseph know that what was an inconvenience to them was a great convenience to a people that needed to find their Savior. Don't be quick to say, why did God do this? You need to say, wow, God's doing something great here. And we're going to see that in just a moment. I'm hurrying. But what was an inconvenience to them was a convenience to a people that was searching for Christ. God is in control of all things. 
Bethlehem was there. It wasn't by coincidence. We know Bethlehem is called the house of bread. And Mary didn't know that Christ would later on say and declare from his own lips, I am the living bread. What better place? There was no room in the inn. So they went to the stable there. They went and laid the, the baby down in a manger, which is really, really a stone feeding trough. Well, you think about the, 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 uh, um, um, the, the illustration here about I'm the living bread put in a feeding trough, right? And so, you, I mean, we need to receive the living bread. And he's in a feeding trough. That just all makes beautiful sense, right? To receive Christ within us, right? As the bread for our soul. So what better place? What better place for Christ to be born than the house of bread? In a feeding trough because he is the living bread. You'll find he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And I'll mention that just in a, mi- in a, in a minute. But all the inconveniences God by his sovereign hand worked into their life for an awesome purpose. Which all had to deal with the gospel. Your life's all about the gospel. Do you know that? It's not about your home, your vacation, your job, anything else. It is about the gospel. All right, so let's, let's get to this last part, and, I, and I'll hurry. The shepherd's joy in God's hand. The angel comes to the shepherds. Then the angel gives an announcement to them. Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy. In verse 10, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe. Won't you thank for that? You shall find the babe. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a what? Oh, but those were inconveniences. But these were beacons of light for these men. Laying in a manger, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let me point something out to you really quickly. These men, before the angels came, they were shepherds. I mean, this was their identity. They, they, they eat and drank sh- uh, shepherding. They smelled like sheep. They were all-in kind of shepherds. There was no doubt when you looked at them, listened to them, and even smelled them, you knew what they did and who they were. Right? They were shepherds. They were all-in. This group of people that the announcement came first to were hard-working, low-class people. Right? They were the outcast, outcast of Israel. They were made ceremonially unclean because of what they did, and they would take days, even weeks, to become ceremonially clean, to even go to the temple and worship. This is the people the announcement came to first. You say, Brother Josh, why are you making such a big deal out of this? The angels coming to the shepherd is a huge moment. You know what that tells me? That he came to the low class, the lowly, the poor, the outcast, right? You know what that tells me? Is that the first advent of Christ, Christ coming, he came for even the most poor of people. He came for the most even filthy of people. The people that may even consider outcast, whatever. He came for all. Can I get an amen? He came for all mankind. And you know what, who the kind of people that he calls? 
even into, in, 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 into service as well. He calls the poor and the lowly. They were looking for the Messiah to come. We find the angels came to them. God took the initiative to announce the birth of Christ to these shepherds. But the, notice what he told, notice what they were told, notice the coordinates that they were given. And he says, Shepherds, listen, fear not. Fear not. Isn't that the whole story of the gospel? You may be living in fear, you may be dealing with fear, but listen, you don't have to fear anymore. Christ has come. Amen? Fear not. That's the, that's the whole point about the gospel, is not living in fear. But he gave them mile markers. Now, they didn't have a star to follow. They had directions. They had coordinates. He said, shepherds, listen, fear not. The Son of God has been born. But listen, the only way you're going to find Him, you've got to look for some things. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he's laid in a manger. So that gave him some direction. That also helped them. Hey, we know what swaddling clothes is like, right? They would oftentimes, Sister Sherry even shared this in our Christmas service, that they would oftentimes, you know, even wrap a newly born lamb, right, in, 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 in this, this, this cloth material. And uh, they could identify that as, God, as, as being shepherds over sheep and the Lamb of God coming. What great uh, uh, symbolism is here. And you notice uh, the shepherds applied wisdom. Let me tell you something. When they were given the directions, when they say Jesus will be found, you know what they said? They turned to one another and said, let's get going. That we may find the one that has been born unto us. Notice what the angel said. Right? That he has been born for you. He's been sent to you. In verse 15, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. One of the greatest tragedies is, is that for Christ to be made known to each and one of you, and for you to leave not coming to Christ. Christ is alive. He is the Savior. He took your sin to the cross, and He's willing to save you. But you, dear friend, must humble yourself and come to Him confessing Him and believing on Him as Savior. These shepherds applied wisdom. They took the truth, they applied the truth, and made, their, made a beeline to Jesus. What a great illustration for us. What a privilege. And notice what it says when they came. Look at verse 17, or verse 16. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, in other words, when they saw him, they made known abroad the saying which told them concerning this child. When they saw him. Can you imagine being one of the shepherds and getting there and seeing the truth they were told that it truly was reality? Can I tell you something? The greatest moment in my life is when I heard, I mean from here to here, heard the truth about Christ. Born, lived, died, took my sin on the cross, resurrected, willing to give me new life if I would come to Him and put my faith and trust in Him. What changed my life was taking that knowledge and applying it in my own heart. That's called wisdom. That's called wisdom. 
The shepherds did not push the knowledge of the truth away, but they allowed the truth to set them free by receiving it. You remember me telling you that when the angels found them, what were the shepherds doing? Come on. What were they doing? Were they on furlough? Were they taking a break? What were they doing? They were watching the sheep. They were shepherding. They were shepherding. Now notice this. What did they do? You find this change in their life. They went from an old identity to a new one. And it says, when they saw this, they, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Now follow me, and we're going to be done. Follow me. Verse 18. And all they that heard it, heard it from who? Come on, church. The shepherds wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds, what's the next word? Returned where? Back to their sheep. They went back to their old job. They went back to doing life. They went back to what their responsibilities were. See, it's, we should never say, well, you know, Brother Josh, I've got this to do and I've got that to do and I've got this job. And if you knew my hours and what little sleep I've got, you would understand why I just don't have time to tell people about Jesus. Can I tell you something? These shepherds were looking forward to getting back to being a new kind of shepherd, a shepherd who met Jesus. They didn't talk about their sheep anymore. They talked about the Lamb of God that was sent. They were a different kind of shepherd. They didn't go in just to punch, punch the clock in and out. When they went into their job, they went in as believers. It's different. And everyone that come by and noticed them in their flock said, Hey, I noticed you're seeing all this sheep, but can I tell you about a lamb that's a lot more important than these? Just think about the conversations they had as they were traveling. Say, Hey, you notice those shepherds? Oh, hey, let me tell you something. I may be a shepherd. Oh, let me tell you about a better shepherd. Just think about that. That is the kind of life you and I are to live now. I don't care where you work, where you go to school, or what you do. You do all of that as a witness for Jesus. Because when you meet Jesus, Jesus changes you. You're not the same. The desire of your heart is not the same. What a great example they heard the message. They received it by faith. They responded immediately with obedience. They glorified and praised God and shared the news with everyone. They were new men going back to their job. God's hand gets all the credit for this. All the inconveniences, God's hand. They had purpose. They had significance. The shepherds needed those inconveniences to find Christ. So my challenge for you is this. Some things I want you to take home is this. As a Christian, and I'm done. As a Christian, when you go out in, back into what you do, when you get a flat tire, when you run out of gas, what, what, whatever inconvenience may come, right? You're, you're, think this. God, show me what you're doing. Right? Show me what you're doing. I don't want to miss this opportunity. I want to be your witness. I want to be your herald. I want to be a Christian right here and right now. Lord, help me embrace this as your plan. So others may see you. And let me say this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, can I tell you something? 
God's hand delivered a Savior for you. To say that God's hand was bringing about the birth of Christ, and He did, is equal to say that God's hand brought the grace that your soul needed to save you, seal you, and be able also to call you home. That's what Christmas is all about. A grace that was sent down to save your soul if you would repent and cry out with a believing faith, trusting Christ alone as your Savior. So, are you born again? Do you give God credit and worship Him and follow Him in the inconveniences? What will you do with Christ today? And dear Christian, what will you do for Christ as you go forward? As we stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. We're going to have a song of invitation.